There was a garden in that place, and Jesus and his disciples went in. Judas, the traitor, knew where it was, because many times Jesus had met there with his disciples. So Judas went to the garden, taking with him a group of Roman soldiers and some temple guards sent by the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were armed and carried lanterns and torches. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward and asked them, Who is it you are looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Judas the traitor was standing there with them when Jesus said to them, I am he. They moved back and fell to the ground. Again, Jesus asked them, Who is it you are looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I have already told you that I am he. If then you are looking for me, let these others go. He said this so that what he had said might come true. Father, I have not lost even one of those you gave me. Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his right ear. The name of the slave was Malchus. Put your sword back in its place. Do you think that I will not drink the cup of suffering which my father has given me? piece of scripture this morning. Uh, if you are joining us for the first or second time, or we're in John 18. We've been studying the gospel of John, and this morning we come to the 18th chapter. So good to have you all here this morning to worship together. Uh, I happened to be home alone one summer afternoon. I was about 14 years of age, and the, the sky turned... Uh, to a dark blue color, and then within a half an hour it changed to a very black color as the clouds began to form and the air became very cool. Soon it began to sprinkle, and then it began to rain steadily, and finally it began to pour, and then it came down like a blanket of water hitting the ground, and like just torrential and within uh, a moments, and after loud cracks of lightning and thunder, uh, the, the western skies, the southern skies were illuminated, and it was obvious that we were in for a good old thunderstorm on the prairies. Now, I had seen many a hailstorm before, but none like this. The skies opened up, and tons of ice fell to the ground, and what I wasn't prepared for, being home alone, 
was the size of the hailstones and the intensity of the storm. I had never experienced a storm of that magnitude before. The stones were the size of baseballs and softballs. And when these icy balls hit the ground, they just bounced up again. And uh, what alarmed me the most was the fact that they were hitting the large picture window. And I began to get a little bit nervous. What would it happen if, in fact, the window broke? Fortunately, it didn't break, but I did want to validate to my family the size of these little cannonballs. So when the coast was clear, I scooped up a few of them and put them in the deep freeze to preserve them a lot of years ago. You know, common to uh, all of us throughout life are the storm clouds that roll in. Uh, You most certainly have experienced them in your past. No doubt you will experience them in the years to come. I heard a a man say, a pastor say, uh, not too long ago, he's still serving the Lord. I think he's 80 years of age. And uh, he said, I thought all the storms would be past my age and I'm still walking through the storms and the challenges and the hurt and the pain of doing life with people and you might be also you might be also Jesus entered the world in a storm cloud and he lived much of his life under the shadow of the thunder and the lightning and the downpours And from the very beginning and throughout his public ministry, belief in him would be a matter of choice. Would he be validated for who he was? As Jesus proclaimed the truth of who he was and why he had come, his critics relished every opportunity to question his origins. It riled the religious authorities of the day to accept that Jesus himself was one with the Father. Blasphemy. By the end of his public ministry, Jesus had polarized the nation. On the one side stood the unbelieving religious authorities of the day, dressed in all of their religious finery. On the other side, a ragtag collection of a few hundred committed believers. And between them stood a vast multitude whose souls hung in the balance. Is he really the Son of God, or is he not? As the sun was setting and Jesus was spending the final hours with his men in the upper room, this amazing prayer of John 17 that you looked at last week, the prayer of Jesus, must have been so comforting to hear Jesus pray, and yet so striking that things were changing. The storm clouds were rolling in. I I felt it this morning in the songs that we sang. I I felt that, that turmoil that Jesus must have gone through. And finally, we say, we sing hallelujah. The Lamb has overcome. But what tension. What a conflict and what a world that Jesus came in. So the two camps were positioning themselves for what was to come. Jesus was preparing his disciples. The religious authorities were preparing their troops. And Judas had changed camps. And he was about to 
physically lead the troops to find Jesus. So I want you to follow with me this morning in the first part of John 18. First of all, the sovereign confidence of Jesus shines through the blackest night. The sovereign confidence of Jesus shines through the blackest night. By the way, it's very interesting to see how much attention this event gets in all four Gospels. Every Gospel writer covers this event and includes significant detail. Now, I think maybe if you or I were writing this, we would have covered it and just in just a few sentences and moved on. But Jesus, John and his writer friends thought it valuable to give us some intriguing detail in the clouds that are blackening on the horizon. John, you notice, doesn't include the anguish of Gethsemane where, when Jesus asked his disciples to watch and pray. He goes right past that event when Jesus was engaged in the greatest battle of his life and asked his disciples if they would watch and pray. But John 18 shows us quite a different picture, and this is what John wants us to remember. Now that he's prayed, now that he's done battle with the enemy and with the great mission that is at stake, and now that he has totally surrendered anew, he steps forth in majestic confidence. Now, if you only read John chapter 18 and not some of the other Gospels, you would be unaware of this deep anguish of the soul that Jesus goes through. But John chapter 18 presents Jesus moving onward, ready to complete his mission, and all without the other writers. We would never know what he's just been through. One of the young moms who comes to our Wednesday prayer meeting uh, here at the church, uh, she, she asked for prayer, I guess it's a couple of Wednesday nights ago, and, uh, because she became aware that uh, a friend of hers, uh, almost a spiritual father, I would say, was in need of a kidney. And uh, he's kind of a comical individual, and he put out a, a plea, I'm not sure if it was on Kijiji or where he put it, but in need of one gently used kidney. Please call if you have one to spare. And his situation was actually very desperate. And when this young mom heard about it, and of course she, she knew him, she believed that she heard God saying, you could do that. So she went through a battery of tests to find that she was the perfect match and her kidneys were in great shape and she made a decision to say, you can have one of mine. So she came to prayer uh, meeting that night a couple weeks ago asking for prayer and yet those of you who are there know that she was brimming with confidence that this is what she should do. She had her two little girls with her and her hubby and the surgery was to be, I think, last Monday. But while prepping Tom, they discovered that he had a blockage in his heart as well. So they had to take care of that first. And uh, that was done this past week. And he's recovering well. Uh, so although it's postponed, it's coming very quickly. And uh, I, I was just amazed at her humble <clears throat> but majestic confidence that was evident. I know what I need to do. 
and I know what God wants me to do. There was a sovereign sense about her decision. She wasn't afraid. There is a work that is done in a person's heart that brings a deep confidence, a sovereign, majestic confidence. And it is often shaped on the anvil of suffering and pain. Alan Redpath, who is a British pastor, but uh, actually pastored the Moody, Moody Church in Chicago for a number of years, way back in the 50s, he had a few famous quotes. And one of them was this. When God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and crushes him. Now that may seem harsh, even cruel, until you understand that becoming like Christ is not always an easy journey. In fact, can be a very painful process. Redpath used to say, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacture of a disciple is the task of a lifetime. And I think you understand that there's quite a difference between becoming a Christian and becoming a disciple. Becoming a Christian is vital It's the beginning of of a new journey, and it's a place where we all start. But becoming a disciple is the journey of a lifetime as we seek to become close followers of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is a process where my goal is to please him, Jesus, more than it is to please anyone else, including my parents or my spouse or my children or... Anyone who may have a high expectation in my life. My first allegiance is Christ. It includes self-denial and unwillingness to pursue my own way, to go God's way, to please Him. Luke 9.22. If anyone wants to follow me, he should take up his cross and deny himself and, and follow me. So a Christian is a person rightly related to God through faith in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean we automatically become a disciple. I mean, that's the task of a lifetime. Uh, So Jesus has devoted his whole life to the Father. And even when the storm clouds roll in, he's still devoting his life to the Father. On every occasion, he has bowed his knee in submission. And now when the skies are ominous and the heavens are dark, there is a confidence There is a sovereign majesty that is still evident in the life of our Savior. Now, you would think that the police, the temple guards, the soldiers would have a very easy assignment and not feel a little any pressure at all being sent out to to bring in Jesus. Uh, I mean, one man against an army. Come on. But I'm astounded at how many soldiers they sent. The word is cohort or contingent, which depending on how you read it or who interprets it, is a thousand troops. Or some may say it is 600 troops. And some have suggested they probably didn't all go, so maybe a couple of hundred soldiers. We don't really know. 
well, why would you need 200, 500, 600 policemen to arrest a street preacher? Well, they came prepared with their torches and spears and clubs. Yet, I don't know, but it seems to me that they were a little bit uneasy. Luke comments that Judas emerged from the crowd of soldiers and he came to Jesus and he kissed him. I mean, that was the sign to make sure the soldiers got the right guy. And when they came, you remember what the text says. After Jesus kissed, after Judas kissed Jesus, Jesus said, Whom do you seek? Who are you looking for? That's so calm, so confident. Hey guys, who, who are you looking for? Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I'm he. Confident, calm. Oh, that's great. You're looking for me? Notice the text says, He stepped forward. Powerful. He didn't step back. He stepped towards them. He stepped forward. And after Jesus said, I'm the one, they stepped backwards. And the text actually says they fell to the ground. Now, I've read this passage for years. And I have yet to find someone to tell me what they think really happened here. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. What in the world was that all about? I just take it for what it says. I think there was a majesty about Jesus. I would think there was something about his presence. I think there was something in the, the blackest night there that there was such a majestic confidence about the Lord Jesus that it was just powerful. It, and it bowled them over. It caught them off guard. He looked at them again and once more he said, Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus from Nazareth. Well, I told you. <laughs> That's me. I'm the one you're after. Now, the text doesn't say this, but allow me the fun of saying, I think he had this kind of presence that said, well, come on, guys. Come on, get up. You've got a job to do. You, I, I know what you're about. I know, I know the timetable, and I know that you're a small part of all this program that's happening now, and I see the dark clouds, and I know you've got a part in this, so come on, get up. Let's get going. Let's, let's do this. Wonderful, majestic confidence. Our Savior in charge, leading as he is led to the cross. Oh, and I just feel like as I read this this morning, we ought to just give him a big hand. We just ought to applaud him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Just thank you, Lord, for who you are for going so faithfully and confidently to accomplish the mission for us. The sovereign confidence of Jesus shines through the blackest night. Secondly, human foolishness shines forth when we don't understand the blackest night. Human foolishness shines forth when we don't understand the blackest night. I do want to note this one verse that reminds us of the prayer of Jesus back in the previous chapter, chapter 17. 
In verse 9, Jesus courageously says, And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you've given me. Again, what composure. What a heart for his disciples. Let these guys go. Don't put them through what I know you're going to put me through. In the midst of standing in front of a few hundred soldiers, surrounded and outnumbered, he puts in a plea for his men. What a leader. What a servant. Who's in charge here? It's Jesus. His sovereign majesty shines through. No doubt the rest of the disciples cleared out pretty fast. But Peter stayed. But now I, I want you to notice verse 10. It says, Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. Now just as a matter of interest, wherever Peter's name is mentioned in chapter 18, he is referred to as Simon Peter. You can check it out. How intriguing that whenever Peter is referred to as Simon Peter, the Holy Spirit is reminding us through his name that Peter is acting in the flesh. It's a very human Peter. I have to say, on the other hand, though, that Peter deserves some credit here, even if he's being very human. He didn't know what to do. He had no chance of taking on a few hundred soldiers and winning, of course. But nevertheless, he was agitated. He was going to do something. And he took some wild swings, and he came out with an ear on the ground. I mean, that's what he got. The other part of what Peter did was kind of foolish. I mean, he just starts swinging wildly without really grasping what's going on. I mean, all the Jesus preparation for what was coming down suddenly went out the window. And Peter does something very foolish. I, I don't really think he improved the situation, do you? But Peter had to do something. Somebody's got to do something. Fascinating that he lopped off an ear, isn't it? I'm sure he wasn't aiming for an ear. He wasn't all that great with a sword. Probably he's going for the middle of the head or the neck. But he got an ear. And then he got an earful from Jesus on just what he did. I couldn't resist that. You know, honestly, there's been a lot of pain in the church through the years. Because someone, in their agitation and foolishness, picked up a sword and cut off somebody's ear. Well, it didn't happen just exactly like that but in probably involved words and decisions and actions that were extremely painful. But somebody's dignity got lopped off. Somebody's character or integrity got attacked. Someone's heart got injured. Now you and I, maybe we were the ones yielding the sword. Or maybe it was you or I who got our ear lopped off. Or maybe if we look back, we've been on both sides. We've been the loppers and we've been lopped. There are some people who don't come to organized church any longer because someone came along 
and lopped off their ear. You could be sitting here this morning. As soon as I mention the subject, you have a memory. And it's very painful. You have a story. And, and it takes all you have in you to come back to church and try it again. I commend you. Because you've been hurt. I don't know your story. I don't know your pain. But all I can say is I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your pain. I'm sorry that it happened. I'm sorry for our human foolishness when we grabbed a sword and we struck out wildly. And that we hurt one another. My heart breaks for those who say, I'll never darken the door of a church again because of the malicious things that were said. I'll never set foot inside a church again because of the gossip or the innuendos and straight out awful things that were said and done. I mean, some of it was said, some of it was done kind of like Peter. We've got to do something. We've got to change this somehow. And, and, and somebody took a swing. Got to strike back. And, and oftentimes it was believed to be the right thing to do. We're acting in his name. But unfortunately, every one of those swings are connected to a person with real feelings and people who are also trying to make some sense out of life. If you're here this morning and, and you've been hurt and you need to talk, please do. You need to heal and be restored. Maybe you have already been, and that would be awesome. Keep on. But you see, the enemy would love to lock us up in prison, bound by our own hatred and bound by our resentment and bitterness. But you know the Holy Spirit wants to release us from that so that we can continue to grow. Now, some of this happens, and it really is the anvil of suffering and pain and part of what we have to work through to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. When we look back at our life, what is important is this statement. And, and actually, we, we, we caught it this morning. It's wonderful to hear that phrase. Thank you, Lynn, for reminding us. It's, it's not so much what happens to us, but what happens through us. Because a lot of ha things happen to us. But in the end... What does God do through us? Are we better or bitter? And can we be used in his ministry for whatever he calls us to? But lopping off ears, you know, doesn't just happen, happen in a church context. It happens in homes. It happens in families. It happens in corporate offices. It happens in schools. It happens in community, it happens in, on social media. It happens wherever. And it grows out of a sentiment, I need to set the world straight. I need to set my spouse straight. I need to set my kids straight or my parents straight. And it wasn't so much that there doesn't need to be discussion. It's just like sword came out of the sheath. And ears started falling 
And now the way back is hard and painful. A.W. Tozer once said, It's doubtful that uh, God can use anyone greatly until he has hurt him or her deeply. Hmm. What he meant is that we will succumb to those scenarios of life that will break us and turn us away. Or we will, by God's grace, be able to move past them and to forgive and use it as part of our transforming journey. And that would be the prayer, wouldn't it? That God would use it as part of our transforming journey. So human foolishness shines forth when we don't understand the blackest night. Thirdly, uh, sorry, um, the ear of Melchus is a poignant reminder that God has been at work in your life. The ear of Melchus, sorry it didn't uh, appear on the slide there like it is in your notes. The ear of Melchus is a poignant reminder that God has been at work in your life. Verse 11 says, But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into his sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Now we have to go to Luke's gospel to see that after Peter cut the ear of Melchus, uh, that Jesus stooped down and he picked up this lopped off ear and he restored it as a perfectly whole ear to the person of Malchus. It's a miracle. And, you know, we hardly talk about this as one of the miracles in Scripture. But it's a miracle. Uh, it seems so matter-of-fact, but it's amazing. It's one of the last miracles that our Lord did on this earth. It's a marvelous miracle. Luke twenty-two fifty-one says, And he touched the man's ear and healed him. But I want to make a bit of a deal of this because remember who he was. He was the servant of the chief high priest of, of that year and his name was Caiaphas. Now, you've got to know that Caiaphas was waiting for a report from his men after this kind of this arrest in the garden. What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? Did you arrest Jesus? And have you ever thought about the narrative, how that must have unfolded when the servant went back to his master to the chief priest. And can you imagine Caiaphas saying, guys, how'd it go? Did you get him? And somebody says, yeah, we got him. Everything is well. Did he give you any trouble? Was it a messy scene? No. Went pretty well. Ah, just a little skirmish. Everybody looks at Malchus. Well, Malchus had a problem. What do you mean? Malchus had a problem. And Malchus says, well, sir, it's my ear. One of the guys, one of his guys, pulled a sword and swung it at me, and I ducked, but he got my ear. Cut it right off. Caiaphas says, that's impossible. I see your ear. Doesn't seem to be missing. Not even bleeding. It looks perfectly normal. What are you talking about? Well, you're right, Malchus says, that's the problem. What do you mean it's the problem? Well, the problem is that no sooner did my ear get lopped off and fall to the ground than this man that we sent to arrest, I mean, he stooped down, brushed it off, put it back in my head again. It was perfect. It was perfect. It was completely healed. 
completely restored. Like it never happened. And I doubt that Malchus had the liberty to say what he was thinking. But I'm sure he was thinking what we would all be thinking. Do you think we got the right guy? Do you think this man really deserves to die? I think there's something very wrong about what we're doing. Well, we'll see the story unfold in the coming weeks, but none of this deterred Caiaphas for a moment. He was headstrong. He was threatened. He could only see the one thing in front of him, and that was obliterate the threat, take out Jesus, finish him off. But don't you think that every time he saw his servant Malchus, he thought of what Jesus did in the closing hours on this earth. He thought of the miracle of restoration. And he wondered. He knew in his heart that he'd made a huge mistake. But he couldn't own it. He couldn't own it. The ear of Melchus was a sign of God at work and an opportunity to heed what God is doing. Now here's my thought. You know, I just wonder, I just wonder if in every person's life there isn't a Melchus ear. There's an event in which you heard about the message. It was very clear to you. And you think of that. There's a person who lived out their faith in Jesus Christ in front of you and you know them and you saw them make a difference. You saw them with your own eyes. I mean, who would have ever thought that Caiaphas would have had such a clear reminder, clear witness, that right in his household was a man touched by Christ. The question is, Caiaphas, why didn't you get it? Why didn't you get it? Maybe one night in a motel, you turned on the television and you watched Billy Graham clearly share the message of Christ. And the Holy Spirit spoke to your life. And you know it. You know it. Maybe it was a Gideon's Bible. You picked it up and you read it. Maybe it was a presentation from Compassion Canada. Dennis Kinlaw tells the story of watching Leonard Bernstein conducting Handel's Messiah. He said it was terrific. He was lost in agony and ecstasy of this incredible music, <laughs> perspiring profusely, his head moving vigorously, his hair flying all over the place, and he was lost in the greatness of that moment. King of kings and Lord of lords. And he shall reign forever and ever. And he said the thought came to him. If this was the only performance and Bernstein's heart was not turned to Christ himself. That at the close of time God might say to Gabriel, Gabriel, go over to the NBC film library and pull that clip out. And then on a heavenly screen there will be a picture of Leonard Bernstein lost in the greatness and the grandeur of that greatest piece of music ever written. 
a tribute to the Messiahship of Jesus. And I, he said, I could hear God saying, Leonard, Leonard, why didn't you catch on? See, I, I wonder in all of our lives if there's not an ear of Malchus. A moment in time where we saw our amazing Jesus do a wonderful work of love and grace. And somehow we overlooked it. We passed by it. We ignored it. Whatever. I don't know where you're at in your journey with Christ. But my sense is that he's been speaking to you all along your way. And he wants you to recognize his heart for you and say, I get it, Lord, I get it. And I won't stubbornly ignore you all of my life. I won't, I won't ignore the call to be one of your children. So if you've not said yes to Christ, if you've not said yes to surrendering your whole heart to him, then consider the ear of Melchus in your life. And let it be a word to you of the love and the grace of God which is still there, still there for you. So first, the, co- the sovereign confidence of Jesus shines in the blackest night. Human foolishness shines through when we don't understand the blackest night. And the ear of Melchus is a poignant reminder that God has been at work Pray with me. If this makes any sense at all to you this morning, would you whisper in your heart simply the words, Yes, Jesus? Yes, Jesus? I hear you. I hear you. And my desire is to know you, and my desire is to love you, and my desire is to honor you, and my desire is to serve you. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for the many signs of your love and grace along our life's journey. We receive your word to us today, and we say a big yes to you. Yes, Lord. Please come and be the center of each of our hearts today. Heal the wounds. Give us new perspective. And uh, remind us again that we are yours paid for with the price that you paid for us on Calvary's cross. And for that, we give you thanks again this morning through Jesus Christ. Amen.